how as a Christian can you deal with this fear? How can you as a Christian establish assurance or confidence in your standing before God as a forgiven son or daughter? Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. And Colin, I think most of us have had that question in our mind at some point. How can I be sure about how I stand with God? Yeah, and we're in a story from the Old Testament here that really gives us the answer to that question in a wonderful way. It's the story of Joseph's brothers, who of course had sinned against him in a terrible way, and he forgave them. And they were reconciled. But then years later, when their father died, they had this sneaking suspicion. Now, maybe Joseph's going to get us now. So, you see, they, they had experienced peace, but they weren't really sure. They were uncertain about uh, his real intentions towards them. Joseph, right at the end of the book of Genesis, has to assure them. He has to uh, give them confidence of his love towards them, his goodwill towards them, and the peace and the reconciliation that they have. And the way he does that is a wonderful taste of how God does that for us. It points us forward to how as Christians we can have assurance of our peace with God. So this is a very important, very practical theme from the Bible today. So we're continuing the message, Safe and Secure. So if you can, join us in Genesis chapter 50. Here's Pastor Colin. Now think about this. If you look at the story of Joseph from the perspective of what people did, it really is a story of one evil after another. So the brothers hate him and they sell him as a slave. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and when he uh, shows no interest in her advances, she then lies about him and ends up with him in prison. The butler who he meets and ministers to in prison then gets uh, released and put to the right hand of uh, Pharaoh and completely forgets about the one who has done him so much good. If you look at your life, you may be able to come up with a list of evils that have been done against you. You may be able to come up with a list of people who have hurt you, people who have disappointed you, people who have let you down. And if that's all you can see, the evil that is done against you, your life will be very miserable indeed. But Joseph, while being fully aware of the evils that were done against him, he says, you, you meant it for evil. There's what you did. But here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at what God did. His mind is filled with the greater work. He looks beyond the evil that was done to him, and he sees the hand of God at work redemptively in his life. And what has God brought out of all this that happened in the life of Joseph? Well, it's the one thing that's been at the center of our series right from the beginning. Joseph looks remarkably like Jesus. What God has done through all of this, all of this pain and loss and sorrow and disappointment, everything, what God has done supremely Beyond even what has been done in terms of supplying the food in Egypt, the great thing that has been done is that out of all of this has come a life that looks remarkably like Jesus. 
And of course, that is the great truth of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that most of us know well. We know that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. And what is the good that God is always working for in every circumstance of your life, the worst as well as the best, the evil as well as the good, in all things? What's the good he's about? Here's what it is. It's in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, the very next verse. It is that you should be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. What's the great purpose of God through everything that happens in your life, the best and the worst, that in you there will be a remarkable likeness to Jesus? And why is that his great purpose? Because the great purpose of God over all history is he has one son who he loves, and he wants to multiply the image of the son he loves so that in every one of our lives, There will be formed, often through the crucible of disappointments and sometimes of great pain and and even of suffering, there will be formed in our lives a remarkable likeness to Jesus Christ. That there will be a reflection of his goodness and his kindness and his patience and his faithfulness and his love and it's going to be formed in us through every circumstance of life. So Joseph says, yeah, 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 that's what you did. But look at what God did. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. Always remember this, friends. The great purpose of God is not that we will be healthy, prosperous, sipping and savoring the joys of life in a trouble-free world. That's not the great purpose of God for you and for me in this world. The great purpose of God for you and for me in this world is that we will become increasingly like Jesus and that there will be for all eternity from people from all nations redeemed by Christ and filled by the Spirit of Christ a beautiful reflection of Jesus like a diamond reflecting all the facets of light for his glory forever and forever. And he'll do that through every circumstance of your life. Nothing is beyond the reach of God to advance his great purpose of making you like Jesus through all the experiences of your life. And and so this good is never overwhelmed. It's always advanced and supremely at the cross where you see the greatest expression of what was meant for evil. And what does God do? He advances the greatest good in all of the history of the world. The Redeemer bears the sins of all the redeemed. So where are you going to find assurance? Where are you going to find confidence in a troubled world like this? Where are you going to establish yourself as a Christian? Well, it's going to come from God's love. It's going to come from God's authority. It's going to come from the knowledge of God's goodness, which always reigns. And it's going to come from the knowledge of his promise, is verse 21, his promise. So do not fear, Joseph says to his brothers, I will provide for you. Now, the significance of these five words, I will provide for you, is that they are exactly the same words that Joseph spoke to his brother 17 years before. And so you see the force of that, I will provide for you. Now, look, brothers, 
I gave you my word 17 years ago. I said this to you then. I say it again to you now. You can rely on my promise. I gave you my word, and my word will never, never change. You find assurance, not by looking into your own heart, but by resting on the promise of God. And friends, that is why we come around the communion table so regularly together. What happens when we come to the Lord's table? We are reminded of his great promise. It is held before us, not because we haven't heard it before, but because so often our hearts condemn us and we begin to wonder if it will be all right with us in the end. So what happens? We come around the Lord's table where Jesus was the one who took the cup and after he had given thanks, he said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. A covenant is a promise. And God says to us, here's my promise. Jesus says, my blood is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. All of your sins. And whenever we come around the Lord's table, the promise is held up before us. Just like Joseph held up the promise again. Exactly the same promise. Because it's what they most needed to hear. And this promise never changes. It never goes away. And it's held before us again today by the word. And it's held before us around the table. Because when we see our own sins... Sometimes we lose sight of the promise. And when that happens, all kinds of fears can rush into our minds and into our hearts. And then we wonder if God really loves us. And he says, let me remind you of my promise. Now, this is really practical stuff. This is how you set your heart at peace in the presence of God when your own heart condemns you. And every one of us knows what that experience is like. You don't look into your own heart. You rest upon his love, his authority, his goodness, and his promise, all of which are held before us today. You've been listening to Pastor Colin Smith on Open the Bible and the message Safe and Secure, the final message in our series, Snapshots of a Godly Life. And if you've missed any of our broadcasts, you can always go back and catch up or listen again on our website, openthebible.org.uk. There you can download any of the messages in the series as a completely free MP3, or you can stream them directly from the website. Let's get back to the message now. Here's Pastor Colin. Now, the last thing in this marvelous chapter is the great theme of hope. So it starts with grief. It moves through assurance, and it ends on the note of hope. So we began chapter 50 with the death of Jacob. Very quickly now, we move at the end of the chapter to the death of Joseph. Verse 24, he says, I'm about to die. And then notice that he makes his brothers swear an oath, saying, God will surely, verse 25, visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And then it says, Joseph being died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So there you are, two funerals in the last chapter of the book of Genesis. And uh, think of this, that the book of Genesis 
begins in a garden. You've heard me say the Bible begins in a garden, it ends in a city, and all the way through it's about Jesus Christ. Well, here's the take on Genesis. It begins in a garden, it ends in a coffin. That's the last verse, which tells you the effects of sin in the world. That's what's being told to us in Genesis. Began with all this life of Adam and Eve walking with the Lord in the garden, and it ends with a coffin in Egypt. When Joseph dies, they're not in the promised land. And that reminds us, for all the blessings that we enjoy from the hand of God in this world, we have not yet experienced the joy that Adam and Eve knew, walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day and and seeing him face to face. We, We know him by faith. We don't yet see him and enjoy his presence by sight. That is beyond us in this world. And... Here's the great truth to which the whole Bible points us. Thank God that the promise in Genesis extends right throughout the Bible and that the Bible doesn't end in a coffin in Egypt. The last verse points beyond. It points to the Exodus. When that happens, I want you to take my bones with me, Joseph says. Huge significance in that. When a Christian dies... The life of a believer never ends in a coffin. That's an amen moment, isn't it? The life of a believer never ends in a coffin. Death is the separation of the soul and of the body. When a person dies, their body is laid to rest, but their soul is in the immediate and conscious presence of the Lord Jesus. To be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And I believe that Joseph knew this. I really do. Because Hebrews chapter 11 is the God-given commentary on the life of the patriarchs. And if you put together what we are told there, we're told that Abraham, along with Isaac and Jacob, they were looking for a heavenly city. So heaven was on their minds, even in these earliest days. They knew that they had been brought out of the place where Adam and Eve had begun in the presence of God, the the Garden of Eden, this fellowship of God. And they had something beyond this world that was in their mind and was in their heart. They knew that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Hebrews 11 and verse 13. So that they knew that they had a future beyond this world. And we're told that they saw it from afar. So there really is, very clearly from what the Holy Spirit tells us in Hebrews in chapter 11, uh, evidence that in these earliest times there was this great hope of life beyond the coffin, life beyond the shadow of death. And that's why I think it's really significant that when Joseph comes to his last command. It's not a request, it's a command. He says, this must happen. His words are actually not about his soul, which would be present with the Lord. His words are about his body. Carry up my bones from here. Which reminds us of the truth that is unfolded later in the scripture. That there is a great future, not only for the soul of a believer, but also for a believer's body. And that, of course, is revealed much more fully in the New Testament. But remember, even Job, who lived in these earliest days, Job had some seeing from afar of the resurrection. He said, though worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. 
And Abraham, we're specifically told in the New Testament, had some seeing from afar with regards to the resurrection because we are told that he believed that God was able to raise the dead, specifically when he took Isaac up Mount Moriah and anticipated that the son's life may be laid down. And Joseph's words here quite clearly indicate an anticipation, some promise relating even to his body in regards to the future. Well, the request was made and the promise was kept. Uh, You get to the book of Exodus, time of Moses, 400 years later, the little clan of 70 people who came into Egypt have now become a great company of 2 million. Moses leads them out in the Exodus and guess what they took with them? The bones of Joseph. Exodus and chapter 13 and verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, and then quotes directly from this last verse of Genesis, the command of the patriarch, you shall carry up my bones. And if you follow the story through to the end of the book of Joshua, you find that when they finally got into the promised lands, these bones of Joseph, they were buried in this town of Shechem, and that is Joshua chapter 24 and verse 32. So just try and think about this. That's the longest funeral procession in history. I mean, they carried these bones. They carried the embalmed body of of Joseph. That's more than 400 miles, and uh, you've got to account for all of their wanderings in the desert. And 40 years they carried the bones of Joseph. And yet what a marvelous picture. Here are these people, and they're carrying the great man's bones. And why are they doing this? They're saying, we're going to a better land. We're going to a better life. And it's not only for us, it's for all who died in faith who have gone before us as well. Beautiful, beautiful picture. Now think about this. The bones of Joseph have been buried somewhere in Shechem for 4,000 years. 4,000 years. To this day. The soul of Joseph enjoying the presence of the Lord with all of those who have died in faith, including your loved ones in Christ who are already with him. But the bones of Joseph lie where they were buried thousands of years. And then the day will come when Jesus Christ will return in glory. And First Thessalonians tells us that Those who have died in the Lord, and that includes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the brothers, and your Christian loved ones, their souls are going to come with him. And then it says, the dead in Christ will rise first. What that means is that at that moment, they will be given resurrected bodies. Joseph will have flesh and bones resurrected flesh, resurrected bones. After 4,000 years, God doing a miracle of creation. He made man once out of the dust of the ground. He can make a body again from the dust of the ground. And for Joseph and for the brothers and for Jacob and for your Christian loved one and for all who are present with the Lord right now, together, when he comes, given that marvelous gift of the resurrection body. And then it says something else that we who are alive on that day when Jesus returns, we're going to be caught up with them 
to meet the Lord in the air. And for us, because we have not gone through death, for us who are alive when Jesus Christ comes, our bodies are going to be changed and transformed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. That's 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. That will happen at the last trumpet, when the trumpet sounds and Christ comes in power and in glory. We're not going to take these creaking bodies with us into his presence. We're going to take bodies that are transformed into in a twinkling and in a moment. And it will happen at the last trumpet. What a glorious anticipation. We are people who are headed for a better country. We are people who are headed for a better life. And it's not only for us. It's for all who have gone before us who have died in the Lord. The very last thing is simply this. That it's very striking to me, after all that we've learned about Joseph in the Old Testament, that very, very little is said about him in the New. A couple of passing references, and Stephen, of course, refers to the story of Joseph in his great uh, message going through the entire Old Testament history. But when you get to Hebrews 11, the great commentary on the fathers of the faith, There's only one thing that is said about Joseph, and it's this. It's the bit about the bones. Hebrews 11.22, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and he gave directions concerning his bones. Does that surprise you? I mean, of all the things that could be said about Joseph, record one. I mean, why not say he forgave his brothers? Why not say he saved thousands of lives because he was the governor of Egypt? He had the highest position in the land. Why wouldn't you record that? Here's why. Because no matter what you suffer in this life, and no matter what you achieve in this life, what ultimately matters is where you are when you're gone. What shall it profit a man or a woman if we were to gain the whole world, become the governor of whatever, and then lose your soul? The greatest thing that is recorded about this great man whose life has spoken to us throughout this year, it's not what he suffered. It's not even what he achieved. It is that he put his hope in the promise of God and he knew he was destined for a better land and for a better life. Here's the truth of the gospel, that Joseph always points us to Jesus. And our Jesus is not in a coffin. The tomb was empty. He is risen. And to all who believe, he says, I live. And because I live, you will live also. What an excellent way to finish the message of hope and what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have such a relationship but you feel you'd like to, you can do that simply by praying a prayer. Ask Jesus to come into your life, forgive your sin and make you right with God. Even though you can do that completely on your own and in private, we thoroughly recommend that you meet with a trusted Christian friend or family member or go along to a local church fellowship, meet with the minister or any of the members of that church and tell them what's happened to you. Also, of course, you can ask them to pray with you. We'd love to hear about it if that happens to you. We'd also love to hear any feedback or comments you may have about the programme.
You can do that by email. Simply send an email to hello at openthebible.org.uk. We hope you've really enjoyed our series, Snapshots of a Godly Life. Join us next time when we turn to the life of David. For Pastor Colin Smith and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick, and I hope you join us again soon. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners. We are done looking at snapshots. We'll turn to the life of David next time on Open the Bible.